They're like little velociraptors. Like you can see them thinking. Hello, I'm John Rossi. I'm a touring drummer with a passion for animal conservation. When I'm on the road, I spend as much time as possible visiting zoos, aquariums, and conservation organizations. Now, I want to share those places with you. I'll be talking to keepers, vets, conservationists, anyone who can help me in my mission of connecting my people to animals through their people. Join me on my raw safari. Hello, hi, hello. Welcome back to the podcast that has managed to mention red pandas in every episode from Florida so far, despite the fact that there are actually no red pandas to be found in Florida, the Rasafari Podcast. Y'all, I am really excited about today's episode, and we'll talk about it in a minute, but first... I need to say that I'm excited about something else. This episode is coming out on August 10th, 2021, and that is my son Miles's seventh birthday. Happy birthday, Miles. I love you so very much. And sharing uh, my podcast and my love of animals and our love of video games and all that good stuff with you means the world to me, buddy. I am so excited to see who you're going to become as you keep growing up. And I am so proud of the young man that you already are. I love you, buddy. Happy birthday. Okay, and for those of you who aren't my son, and uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's most of my audience, uh, I'm excited to bring you an interview today with Elizabeth Johnson from the Naples Zoo in Naples, Florida. As you'll hear at the top of the interview, I actually have a pretty cool history with the Naples Zoo. I'm a big fan. I've been there a bunch, and it was cool to go back in a Rasafari capacity and, and do an interview and get to go behind the scenes and see some of the amazing animals there. And y'all, we go deep with some of the animals here. Elizabeth is the supervisor of carnivores at the Naples Zoo, and as such, we spend a lot of time talking about some cool animals, including fusa, panthers, hyenas, cheetahs, clouded leopards, and honey badgers. That is a really exciting conversation. And then after the interview, you're going to get to come with me to go meet the honey badgers. It was an experience, y'all, and um, I can't wait to let you hear it. We also spend some time talking about DG, the anteater that lives at the zoo. And guess what? I got to meet DG, and you're going to get to learn all about anteaters at the end of this episode. We spent some serious time hanging out with that incredible animal, and you are going to be blown away by the facts that you learn from DG's keeper. But before we get to all that goodness, I want to remind you all that you can follow along at Raw Safari on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. I am posting an episode post along with my daily zoo posts, so you'll be able to see some of the pictures that I took at the Naples Zoo and uh, get to see the honey badgers and DG and all the, the good stuff that you're about to hear about. Also, remember that you can support the pod by going to patreon.com slash Uh, You can start with as little as $3 a month, and uh, you get some really cool content, including bonus audio from every episode that I'm able to get it for, including this one. In this case, if you're not a patron, you're missing a bonus poop story, as well as some additional information about one of the animals at the zoo. So consider hitting up patreon.com slash rossafari and signing up. And now, here's an ad. Today's episode is brought to you by Daydreamers Studios. Do you have stories and expertise to share with the world? 
Have you ever thought about starting your own podcasts? There's no better time to start than now with the help of a trusted production partner. Daydreamer Studios is a full-service production company that takes all the stress off your plate. You can focus on creating engaging content while they focus on recording, editing, audio engineering, hosting, and publishing on 22 platforms. Log into the advanced remote system with one click and the Daydreamer team will be on the other end ready for you to record everything you have to say. Owned and operated by Daydreamer Network, Daydreamer Studios continues on the company's mission to empower storytellers of all kinds by making podcasting accessible to all. For more information and current promotions, visit daydreamernetwork.com studios. All right, friends, it is time to answer the age-old question of whether or not honey badgers, in fact, do care. We'll find out in my interview with Elizabeth Johnson, supervisor of carnivores at the Naples Zoo. All right, so tell me who you are, where we are, and what you do here. All right, so my name is Elizabeth Johnson. We are here at the Naples Zoo in Naples, Florida, and I am the supervisor of the carnivore department. Awesome. Um, I have to start off by telling you that uh, I did a six-week gig six years ago now uh, in Fort Myers, and so every day that I could, I shot down really? here and came to the <laughs> zoo. So I, I love this zoo. That's awesome. Yeah. I am so excited to be back. Um, I can't wait to see, we're going to walk around afterwards and I cannot wait to see all the changes and all the cool stuff. Um, but I have a story here and I don't know if this is something that still exists or that, that you guys even know about, Mm -hmm. but, um, there, there is an area here where you can, um, where there's water and, you know, obviously you guys do, we'll talk about that. There's the whole, you know, cruise. It's awesome. Uh, but when you're standing by there, there's an area where you can get food to feed the the turtles and and Mm -hmm. fish. And there was a bird that would, and I mean, there were a bunch of birds, but there was one in particular that every time I came would sit, would find me and I would just toss the food in the air and it would fly up and catch it. And I had never had an experience like that before. And it was the most magical thing. And the way I found out about it, I, I did not even think to do it, but uh, I just threw some of the, the food into the water high, just yeah. like being dramatic like I am. <laughs> and um, the bird shot up and caught it and then looked at me. And I was like, all right. And so I tossed it again and boom. And it was such a magical experience. Oh, that's and, cool. Yeah. That's so, an impressive bird. I don't know, th- know that I've seen him down there. <laughs> yeah, right? I know. And I'm like, oh, that was just, that was such a neat memory. And it was the whole, it was the whole, I guess it was winter that I was down here, but the whole like six, seven weeks that I was down here, cool. I, multiple times. So this bird would just, we would just play, play catch. We have so much, I mean, we have so many native wildlife species that are here on grounds. The, the whole above Alligator Bay is a whole entire natural rookery. And in the evening, all the ibis and the egrets and everything, the herons, they come in and fly in and it's really cool. That's awesome. I, I call um, native wildlife at zoos bonus animals. Yeah, that's and true. That's, yeah, that's what I just, <laughs> that's my term. Um, cool. Uh, so let's start off talking about you. Um, so what is your position here again? So I'm the supervisor of the carnivores. Okay, so you are the boss of the carnivores. The boss of the carnivores, okay, cool, yeah. Cool, cool. Are, are they good workers? No. Uh, they're great. <laughs> um, and so tell me about how you got to that that position start off early like how did you fall in love with animals go through the whole thing okay so probably like most people in the zoo profession um I when I was little loved animals of course always thought I would work with them but I think you naturally assume 
that there's one animal job out there, and that's to be a veterinarian. Um, that's what, you know, adults tell you, oh, are you going to be a veterinarian? You're like, oh, yes, of course, I'm going to be a veterinarian. So, like, that was the goal always for a long time. Um, and I even went to college with the intent. I was pre-vet of going to vet school. Um, but while I was in college, I think it was my sophomore year, I did an internship at Disney World. Um, not animal related at all, although I was at Animal Kingdom driving safari tracks. Okay. Um, nice. Nice. <laughs> so kind of animal related. Um, but one of my managers at Disney had been a zookeeper. Um, and through talking to him, I was like, I never really even considered that that was like a job that could be had, to be <laughs> honest. And so when I came back from that internship, it was a quite long internship. It was like nine months. Um, I, I stayed pre-vet, but I didn't really have the focus of going to vet school. I just was going to finish that degree out. Um, and then when I graduated in 2005, I applied for um, an internship at the Indianapolis Zoo. I applied to a variety of them, just different locations around the U.S. that I thought I might want to visit and live, because that's the beauty of being a zookeeper also. Like, you can go to lots of different places. Absolutely. Um, and Indianapolis is one of them. And I so I, I got accepted to that internship program, and I did an internship in Indianapolis for four months, I think, in their forest biome. So it was tigers, primates. I know that you've been there. Yes. Yeah, that's a really cool area. <laughs> yeah, it is really, yeah. really cool. So I was in the forest biome, um, and I did that. F- and then I got really lucky that that following January, I got a full-time position back in Texas. I'm originally from Texas. Um, back in Texas at a smaller facility called Ellen Trout, which is in Lufkin, it's East Texas, um, working with rhino and giraffe. Um, I always thought I kind of would go towards hoofstock more than anything else because I had horses growing up. Um, so I worked at uh, Ellen Trout for a few years in rhino giraffe, but in addition to that, our section also had carnivores. So lions and tigers and jaguar were the main ones. So I got some carnivore experience. Um, and then I left Ellen Trout because I thought I was going to go back to school and then realized that school is really expensive and maybe I wasn't <laughs> going to go back to school. <laughs> so I applied for a position at the Naples Zoo. They had never had giraffe before and they were getting a new herd of giraffe. So because I had this giraffe experience, I applied for the position. I got the position and that's how I moved down to Naples initially. Um, worked with their giraffe herd for about, see, that was in 2010. For about six years, but within that time frame, um, they created a new kind of like structure within the animal department, and I became the hoofstock supervisor. Um, so I supervised hoofstock here for a little while. Then I left and went to the Dallas Zoo for a couple of years um, because I had a son, and we thought it might be nicer to be closer to home. So I did hoofstock at the Dallas Zoo as well. And then um, a position, another supervisor position opened up here in Naples, and we decided we'd really love to be back in Naples. So we've been back in Naples, and I've been back as a carnivore supervisor since um, late in, like, 2018. Nice. All right, cool. So that's kind of the roundabout way of how I got here, what I'm doing. So here's my here's my question for you about that. The Dallas Zoo is awesome and big and Very large. And all the things. And, and – um, what, what is it then that made you want to come back to Naples, which is an amazing zoo. And I obviously right. said, I love it, but is is smaller and is, yeah. is, you know, um, maybe less well-known would be a good way to put it, but it what, is, what brought you back? Yeah, it is less, less well-known. The first time around, I was like, I'd never even heard of the Naples Zoo. <laughs> I didn't even know where Naples, Florida was. <laughs> um, so 
I feel really lucky that within my career, I've worked like at a smaller facility, Ellen Trout. Naples would be kind of medium. And then Dallas is obviously quite large. I really honestly love the smaller zoo feeling. Why? Like it's so much more family oriented and on the employee side. Like uh, actually here at Naples, my husband and I got married here at the zoo. Nice. Um, so I've just have a special place in my heart for the zoo anyway. Um, it's very beautiful here. It's a small staff. So it's it's more like these people that you're working with are they're not just your coworkers. Like they're kind of like your zoo family, which I feel you'll hear lots of keepers say like they have their zoo family. Um, and I had that at Dallas too, don't get me wrong, but on a completely different scale. Like the people I worked with in my section, like we were all great friends and um, you know, we were pretty close and we did lots of things together, but like I didn't necessarily know or have close relationships with people in other departments or even horticulture or maintenance or, or any of the administration like I do here at Naples where like I do know closely the people in horticulture and I am friends with the maintenance director and like, you know, like it's just very more close knit and it, it's a nice feeling. So plus <laughs> bonus bonus info plus naples zoo is just kind of like in this position like professionally that it's just like this little rocket ship sitting on the platform ready to take off like there are such cool things that i knew were happening when i left the first time but they're really rolling now and i just want to be a part of that so it kind of was very tempting <laughs> nice that's awesome uh are, are there any that are you know somewhat public knowledge that you can tell me about um well we are uh, planning on um, trying to do a new South American area. And then we have a capital campaign right now for a new entrance that is very, very, very close to completion. And the construction will start on that soon. So it's going to be a complete like revamp of like that one whole part of the zoo, which will be nice because the current entrance to the zoo is through an old gift shop and it, it does not give a good impression of what actually is behind <laughs> those doors. Like, you walk in and you're like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize it was so lush and there's all these like trees and these animals and that's not what you would guess. So the new entrance is definitely very much needed. Yeah, no, you're you're not wrong. I remember <laughs> the first time I came here and I was like, huh. this is one of those little like reptile shack kind right. of places. Cool. And then walked out to a beautiful zoo and I was like, yeah. oh, all right, well, that works. Yeah. That's, that's one reason I love the AZA and accreditation and all that stuff because at least like I knew I was coming to a good place. Right. So yeah, but, but. That, that's a valid point. Yeah, we just need a little facelift. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. All right, well, that's uh, that's quite the journey. Before we talk more about what you do here at Naples, though, um, tell me some of your favorite stories from your other uh, facilities. Oh, goodness. Well, <laughs> so when I was at Dallas, I worked with Somali wild asses. You um, just wanted to say ass <laughs> well, This is the funny story. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> But that does kind of like turn into it. So like we always have to say when they were in the lane on the way up to exhibit and the way that we would call about it on the radio was basically to say the asses are in the lane. (laughs) 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 If it's too much. (laughs) Oh, no. No, no, no. We're we're fine. Trust me. But trying to get used to saying that on the radio, you know, where everyone can hear you throughout the zoo. I was like, really? That's how we're going to call that we're shifting the Somali wild asses. <laughs> but they're really cool animals. They are like probably one of the highlights of my time at Dallas was working with them because they're just so neat. And I think people often with hoofstock in general are kind of like, ah, they're just like goats. And ah, well, the Somali wild ass is just another, you know, big donkey because that's what they look like. But like, I mean, the 
conservation that is needed for those species and the awareness that needs to happen for the public to know that like hoof stock are just more than goats. They're really cool and they have lots of cool behaviors and weird quirks and like they are in decline. And like, you know, the addicts, for example, there's only maybe a couple hundred in the wild, but probably not because they really can't count their numbers because the habitat is so fragmented and, you know, the populations are so fragmented. Like trying to bring that awareness to the public is challenging. But those are some of my favorite stories um, is having to deal with some weird and quirky hoof stock. <laughs> you know, I totally get that. And um, I actually, it's funny that you mentioned that because uh, we are recording this on a Thursday and it was just Monday that I was at Zoo Miami mm-hmm. and um, they have an amazing hoofstock collection. I actually saw a little baby addicts there, which made yeah. me really happy. Um, but, and they have a bunch of different, you know, cow species and stuff like that. And, um, I got some really great photos. Um, and I know when I was at Jacksonville, I got some really good photos of their bongo and stuff like that. And I always get hung up on whether or not to post those photos mm-hmm. because on one hand, it's important to show those species. Right. They are adorable and I can, you know, do a caption that is a conservation message that will hopefully enlighten people. On the other hand, if I post a red panda, I get four to 500 likes on average. If I post a cow, even if it's a cool, you know, a, not a cow cow, but, um, I'm, I'm going to get like 60 likes and it's, it, it kills engagement. And then, you know, are people seeing my stories and are people getting my message? And it's, it's, it's an interesting balance that I try to strike right now. Well, I mean, it it is honestly the same in the carnivore world too, because they, there are species that we house here at our zoo, but also in general that are smaller, that are lesser known. Everyone, you know, thinks of the big sexy carnivores, your lions and your tigers and, you know, maybe your panthers and your bears too. And, and those are the ones that like people want to see when they come here. Um, but surprisingly, there are also smaller carnivores or weirder carnivores or, you know, carnivores that like people might not think of that you're the same thing. We post pictures of them and it's like, Oh, I don't know what this is. Let's go on to the next thing. Like that's the big challenge, right? Of zoos is trying to like figure out how to like make people care about those weird little lesser known animals. Absolutely. And, um, speaking of, of figuring out ways to engage people, uh, again, I was here six years ago, so this may have changed, but I have to ask, do you still have the sign across from the gators? The one that says, congratulations, if you're reading this yeah. sign, you are in like the, you know, 10% yep. of people. That sign is my favorite <laughs> sign. At an, I've talked about it on the podcast yeah. multiple times. Yeah. For those listening, if this is something new to you, um, there's a sign here. And I don't know the exact verbiage, but it, it basically says, if you're reading this mm-hmm. sign, you're in like the 10% of people that come to zoos yep. that actually read signs. And It's true, though. It's it got is. a lion on it. And people like... It's funny because I will be out in the park and I will hear people, um, we've got it over on the way to Tiger now. You'll hear people see it and the, you'll hear them read it. They'll be like, oh, okay. And it's like, okay, well, you're reading that sign. Are you are you reading the other ones? I don't think you're probably not reading the other ones. But that one obviously is very catchy. So maybe it's making a difference. <laughs> yeah, I think I think every little bit that we can do yeah. helps. You know, I, I think that um, one of the, the perks of, of zoos is that they're educational, but don't shove it down your throat. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, y- you might come and you might learn one fact. You might read one little thing. Right. Um, there might be one sign at your zoo that stands out, whether it's that sign or, right. um, you know, I, was, I love the, the Zoo Atlanta Red Panda Habitat has a thing that says red pandas are the real pandas. <laughs> and they have panda bears there, which most people come to see. 
And I watch more people read that sign almost out of like, what the heck does that mean? I came here to see the real pandas right? and they're the bears, man. And then they read at least some of it and they're like, oh, hey, look at this. This is actually the real panda. Cool. Yeah. And then, you know, that's the sign that gets read at yeah. Atlanta. And, and there, there might only be that one. Yeah. But people are learning. Yeah, that's true. That's the goal. <laughs> yeah, I like that. All right. So um, let's talk about your current position here. Okay. Um, Tell me exactly what you do as the supervisor. Is this like a curator at other positions or, um, it, or at other zoos, I mean? or is Different, different zoos, thing? call them different things. Okay. In, in, in our facility, supervisors are basically responsible for, I've got staff beneath me. So I've got um, keepers that I'm managing on a daily basis. And then I'm also managing the carnivore collection in conjunction with our director of animal programs, who would be like my boss right above me. Um, but then it's really up to me to kind of help like guide where the carnivore department is going. Like we've got vet procedures going on. So I'm helping to coordinate that with the vet team and to schedule those. Um, you know, I'm making sure that I'm keeping up with the collection daily and you know, who needs to see the vet and who's got what going on and are there social issues over here and who's not shifting and how can we troubleshoot that? Um, so it's kind of just like a big fancy manager <laughs> of, <laughs> Of animals and people alike. Um, Could you ask them to change your title to Big, <laughs> Big Fancy, Fancy Manager, Manager of Carnivores? <laughs> sure. I really Does like that. that. Sound more official? <laughs> <laughs> we may have an episode title: <laughs> Big Fancy Manager Big Fancy of Manager. Carnivores. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's awesome. Um, and so do you still get to do a lot of keeping activities? Yes, sometimes. Okay. Because we are a smaller facility um, and our animal care staff is smaller. Um, there are lots of times um, where I sometimes step into that role as being an animal keeper. Um, whether it's on a consistent basis, um, because that's just the way the schedule pans out, or whether I'm covering if someone's gone on vacation or someone's sick. Right now I have a girl on a maternity leave, so I've been doing a lot more animal work than what I would normally do if she were here. Um, which is nice, because it's a nice balance, because I feel I can get the best of both worlds. I can do the animal stuff, which is why we all started in this field to begin with was to be close to animals and work with animals. I can get that fix and I can be around them and I can work with them. But then I also, because of my title, am able to be involved in like some of like the broader zoo discussions about like the new construction that's going to happen and, you know, input into like building design and, and what we want to like bring into the collection and what we're going to do, you know, when we phase a certain species out, like what does the future look like? So it's kind of the best of both worlds. That makes sense. I would like to point out, um, I don't know if you know this or not, but there really aren't any red pandas in Florida. And I know it's very hot, but they're, they're air-conditioned exhibits, and they're, they're misters. And so maybe if, they should be here. I'm just saying, if Clark can make it in San Diego, I'm just saying that, you know, just, just a suggestion, because I am... I am on a drought. I have not seen red pandas in a couple of weeks, and I'm, I'm I start like itching at night. <laughs> they are super cute. When I was in Indianapolis, we had two in the section that I was an intern at, and um, they were in with our munchak, and they were really cool to work with. I agree, they're neat animals. Yeah, they they really are. I don't know, I don't know who would have been there back then. Do you remember their names? I want to say one was like it was like Donu and. I just remember the keeper saying one one meant light face and the other meant dark face. Oh, that's because awesome! Because they okay. were easy to tell apart by their coloration. That, that's that's different than <laughs> who's there now. Then, but I've actually yeah. gotten to meet the pandas there. That's cool. So I didn't think it would be the same ones because I know. That yeah, was it was ago, a while ago. But, you know, you could cross. Your you fingers never know. And hope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, 
Awesome. Well, uh, yeah. So now that we've established that you're definitely getting red pandas, uh, <laughs> ventrongs and tree kangaroos, I also highly recommend. Oh, we recommend have had ventrong here before. I'm telling you, yes. This, this would actually be a good location for, for ventrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. But okay, enough, you know, I have to try and get all my favorite animals at all my favorite zoos. It's just it's And that's one of my the beauty missions. of my role is I can do that too. I'm like, oh, what do I really want to work with? I really want to work with this? Okay, let's get that. <laughs> that's awesome. Oh, I love that so much. Um, cool. So then- Tell me about some of your collection. Tell me about some of your carnivores. Yeah, so we've got actually a pretty big variety of carnivores here. Um, and when, like, when we're interviewing, when we're trying to fill positions, I feel like that's one of the things we always put out there to the candidates is like it's a really cool collection to work with. Um, we have you know, the pretty big standards. We've got lion, tiger, and bear. Oh um, people always say, oh my. <laughs> have to do it. Yeah. But we do have lion, tiger, and black bear. Um, we do have Florida panther, which is pretty cool because they are literally in our backyard here in Naples um, it, within the city limits sometimes too, which people are always like shocked to hear. And I'm like, it does happen. And black bears too. Nice. Um, and don't you have a very special... Florida panther here? We do. Currently, the current panther, we have had historically a very special panther who is no longer with us. He passed away a few years ago. His name was Uno. Okay, yeah, um, that's definitely... Yeah. I, I remember Uno. I was hoping he was still around. No, he's but, not. We were always, always like, oh yeah, the red and blue eye. Yes, he did yeah. have issues with his sight because he had been shot in the face. Um, but he passed away a few years ago, but then there are current panther, Athena, um, that also came from the wild. Her mom um, abandoned her. Fortunately, her mom was radio collared, so biologists were able to track her. So they knew that she had kittens, um, and they were keeping a close eye on mom and the kittens. And she, they realized that mom had moved everyone and left Athena behind. So they tried to go scoop her up and reintroduce her to the new den where mom had moved everyone, but it didn't work. Um, so they were able to take Athena out of the wild and provide some care. She was pretty sick. Um, so that's how Athena came to live in the zoo. Um, and she is a public favorite. She's a staff favorite. She's very chatty. She's very personable. <laughs> like, she really loves to come up and say hello to everyone. Um, so having Florida Panther is pretty cool. That is um, awesome, yeah. And Uno, Uno was very, very popular with the public. He was, I mean, the community support for him was, we still have people that will ask about him. I mean, I remembered him yeah. six years ago, and I've been to literally, you know, uh, dozens, if not hundreds, of different zoos yeah. and places by then. I mean, I yeah. So yeah, he he's really he was, he was really a really special, special yeah. panther. Yeah, I mean, we partnered with a local brewery and they made an Uno ale. Nice. Now they have an Athena ale. That's awesome. Event. Yeah, I love that. That there's another rescue. And again, I know you said it, but just to point it out, yes, this animal came from the wild, but only as a last chance right. rescue thing because uh, I'm I'm big on stressing that zoos don't take yeah. animals out of the wild right. except for when when it's best for the animal yeah um you know and but that's so cool that there's just there's athena now yeah i can't wait to go see her yeah. that's awesome yeah i mean we always hope that we can return the panthers to the wild um we have a partnership with fish and wildlife where we can actually hold injured panthers here because panthers being struck by car is a really big problem around this area oh man and they lose like so many panthers per year. I mean, it's, it's, they start counting every January and we're in like June or July now. And the number is just crazy. I don't have the number off the top of my head, but it is very high. So if they're hit by car and they've survived it and FWC can go and kind of claim them, they can bring them here and we can provide treatment if we need to. We've got a new hospital facility. We can also then hold them in our panther building if they need a little bit of recovery. 
Um, we actually did that back in December for a Panther. He was here for about a year. He'd been hit, or excuse me, for a month. He'd been hit by a car. Um, and he stayed here on grounds for about a month and he recovered. And then we released him back out into the wild, which is really cool. So that's like the ultimate goal. But in Athena's case, in some of the cases, some of the other ones that we've helped, if they are below about the six or seven month age mark, they just, they don't have the skills necessary. And so that's really hard, but yeah, but it's cool to be able to help in that capacity because it's definitely needed down here. Um, Like, okay, so I'm from Pennsylvania. And so like we hit lots of deer, like it's a thing (laughs) and it sucks. But the thought of hitting a panther, like hitting a deer is hard and sad enough. But I would be a weeping mess yeah. if I hit a panther. Me, I can't even imagine. That's yeah. it's it's and it sucks. I don't know if I can say. Sex. Oh, you can say sex. You can, you can say anything <laughs> okay. on this podcast. I mean, just say ass Trust me. Yes. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you could even say sucks ass if you want to. It's, it's fine. Whatever. <laughs> it just it's sad because those panthers are traveling, and a lot of the hit by cars, you know, happen, um, on the highway going over towards Miami, um, either on 75 or on 41 going across. And so we've got a big campaign to really like push people to slow down to the posted speed limits of 45. It adds like a minute of your time instead of going 60. If you're going 45, it adds a minute of your time to go over there. But like hitting a Panther at 45 miles per hour gives that Panther a chance for survival most likely and to be less seriously injured for your car to be less seriously hurt and also for you to like react maybe and actually just avoid the panther because you're going slower because yeah i can't imagine hitting one with my car no no i would be devastated i actually when i went to miami i saw the the panther Mm -hmm. corridor and all the signage and i was i i I was driving very you know (laughs) speed limity and and very carefully and like my eyes were like on a swivel partially just because i I want to see see a panther (laughs) but also because that would be devastating yeah yeah um that's cool that you guys are doing so much work to to try to uh you know keep them safe yeah um has florida do you know florida and and if not i'll cut this don't worry um but do you know if florida has looked into wildlife corridors at all so i want to say there is a group that is really pushing currently to because they to make a lot of the habitat throughout the state more combined to be more corridor-like. And you know what? I even kind of used the wrong ter- term. I mean, wildlife corridors are incredibly important. Yeah. Um, but what I was referring to are the the bridges, either like the, the underpasses. underpasses or the overpasses. Yeah. I just did an article on Zoo News a couple of weeks ago yeah. about this. Um, and that seems like a thing that, that could be helpful. It could be, yeah. I know they have a few of them on 75 Okay. Um, that are really utilized because they have some camera trap footage of everything from alligators to panthers to raccoons to skunks to coyotes like everything is utilizing them which is really really cool um but i think there's definitely a desire to have more of them but it's nice to see that at least the panthers are figuring it out and they are utilizing them yeah i was shocked when i when i uh, reported on that article a couple weeks ago um uh, yeah they the people people who did the research on it and and came up with these ideas were shocked at how quickly animals adapted and it's like well yeah, it's pretty obvious where we the should cars give them more are. credit. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, animals aren't just dumb animals, right. like you know, people say. But yeah, yeah okay, yeah. cool. Well, that that's that's good to yeah. know. But anyway, more carnivores at the zoo. So far, we've touched on one. Yes, <laughs> I know, right? So let's see: lions, tigers, bears, panthers. We also have um, coyotes, which um, are local here in the area. Also, uh, we have um, fusa. We have okay. Sh- Stop. <laughs> Fusa are amazing. 
And Fusa don't get a lot of props. Like they're not out of zoos. I, I the Philadelphia Zoo has a really really cute one, and so I'm very accustomed to spending time watching a Fusa be adorable. Yeah. But to my listeners, talk about your Fusa situation. So Fusa are really interesting. They are very unique. They are the largest carnivore on the island of Madagascar. Um, they're only found in Madagascar, so they're endemic to the island. Um, they eat primarily, like 50% of their diet is lemurs. <laughs> um, they're arboreal, but they do spend a fair amount of time on the ground, but they're pretty much in the trees. And because of that, they have a very long tail. It's like at least the length of their body that allows them to kind of like balance. Um, they're super like adept at like jumping and climbing and like their ankles are, you know, they can rotate them in crazy ways so they can go, you know, up, head up and head down a tree. Um, but they're very nondescript. They're just brown. <laughs> that's, that's, that, that they are. They're not fancy. <laughs> they look like a cat, but they're not. <laughs> they're like in their own little like um, taxonomic group. Um, and people often are like, oh, it's a cool cat. Or is it a dog? Or is it is it a mongoose? And I'm like. <laughs> I kind of think of them as land otters. Like, like you know, tree they're otters. They're slinky sometimes. But, yeah, they're very slinky. Yeah, the one, the one at Philly is very slinky and um, will often run, like you said, kind of three-dimensionally on the ground up mm-hmm. in all the, you know, various hangings and stuff. And then will run full speed into its hammock and immediately crash and be asleep. <laughs> and I mean like instantaneously. I'm sitting there, I'm like, what? The, you, what? Wow, that was quick. Yeah. yeah, they're impressive. They are very acrobatic and super smart. I mean, everything that we give her for enrichment, um, she is super interactive with and can figure out. If we if we think it's challenging, it's not challenging to her. Like, she is going to figure it out. And training-wise, too, she has been very, like, quick to learn, and we do neat things with her, so. Nice. Uh, what kind of stuff do you do? Um, so, she's been trained for voluntary blood draw on her tail. Um, she's also been trained for voluntary injections. She did receive her vaccinations voluntarily um, last year. Um, she can go into a crate, so she'll crate, she'll crate voluntarily, which has been super helpful because we have had to move her a few times either for like storm stuff or maintenance. Um, and she just catches on so quickly. Like she just, she's very into it, which is awesome. Nice. Very cool. Um, and then, um, and then, uh, the, the, for the people listening, I will post some FUSA pictures, but if, um, if you're listening and you're not seeing my FUSA, uh, picks, then you can Google, but it is FOSSA, F-O-S-S-A. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually some people do pronounce it FOSSA. Um, some but, do, but yeah. FUSA is the more accepted and I like it more because it makes less sense and, and makes you sound special yeah. and like, you know what you're talking about then. Yeah, well, there, there are a couple <laughs> different spellings. Yeah. F-O-S-S-A and the Malagasy way I think is F-O-S-A. So yeah, I, any of them are correct. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but if you just Google F-O-S-S-A, you'll find some stuff. But like I said, you're better off looking at uh, Ross Safari on Instagram and, and seeing the pics I'll be posting with this episode. Yeah. So uh, shameless plug. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Um, and actually, before we get on with the carnivores, you mentioned something. And uh, it's, it's storm prep. Mm. And yeah, we are in Florida. And I haven't had the chance to talk to anyone in Florida about this yet. <laughs> but I just found out as I was prepping for this interview that we have a possible tropical storm rolling in. Uh, super excited about that, by the way. <laughs> but um, as a non-Floridian, I'm not too freaked out. But, um, <laughs> but tell me what that's like. What is storm prep like at a zoo? How do you guys make sure that the animals are taken care of? Are there any weird steps or stories that you've had to take? Um. Or- 
it's so much of wait and see with hurricane season, which is unfortunate, but also fortunate at the same time, you know, unlike a tornado, which is going to like rip through, like it's, we actually know that it's coming most of the time. Um, actually just yesterday we were in our, um, hurricane crate trailer counting crates and making sure that we had one for every single animal on grounds that would need one in case we had to move them up to the hospital, which is where it is a more secure building. Um, or if we needed to move them inland. So that's always fun every year is trying to make sure we've got them all accounted for. And if we need to order any more, we need to do that. Um, it's just so much of like, how strong is it going to be? Like, do we need to put things away? Do we need to lock animals in? Do we have to board up glass windows? Like, what is the strength? And sometimes you don't even know that till the very last minute. So it's a lot of like, we have gone through many storms here where we will prep and move things inside and board up windows and then nothing happens. (laughs) (laughs) Which then you're like, God, now I got to drag everything back out of storage again and put it back. But it is what it is. I mean, we're not very far from the beach. The Naples Zoo is like only like maybe two miles from the beach itself. So we're very close to the beach and to the water. So we worry a lot about flooding. Um, Each new building that we've built here on grounds, the hospital and our tiger building is the newest building we have, has been built um, in an elevated position so that we can uh, hopefully not have flooding occur. But it's... It's an ongoing process, even throughout the year, even when it's not hurricane season, we're constantly kind of thinking about it. I know our horticulture team is constantly having um, the tree company come out to like prep the trees and make sure that they've gotten down limbs that could be a problem or that might be likely to snap. And so like they're constantly doing work out there. Wow. That's kind of cool. One of those things you don't really think about when you're at a zoo so much, you know, very cool. All right. Back to animals. (laughs) Back to animals. Let's see. So we have Busa, we mentioned. Um, Then we've also got uh, cheetah and hyena. We have a striped hyena currently. We have had spotted hyenas in the past. Hyenas are cool. I like to work with hyenas. They're neat. Hyenas are very cool. And striped hyenas are very rare in zoos. Normally it is the spotted. So so tell me about this. Um, We've got one currently. She um, is, they're just weird animals in general. (laughs) She, I mean, she's very cool and she's very like, she's come out of her shell a lot since we acquired her, which was probably at least seven or eight years ago. She's really come out of her shell and she is um, also, again, very smart. Um, She loves to interact with enrichment, but it's sometimes a challenge because they are so strong and their jaw strength is amazing. I mean, she just cracks through bones like they're nothing. Um. But a striped hyenas are neat because they have this like mane basically from like the back of their head all the way down their back and they can make the hair stand up. It's piloerection, I believe is what it's called. When they get nervous or if they um, are trying to be aggressive, like they just just push this mane up and it kind of like waves around and it makes (laughs) them look like 10 times bigger than they actually are, which is really cool. Um, Yeah, they're neat animals. So I'm I'm glad that she's here because, like you said, they're not in zoos. There's not many many of them in zoos. Is there a story of why slash how y'all have her? Um, actually, I believe that she was confiscated out of the port of Miami. Um, her and a few others, I think, were trying to be uh, brought into the country illegally. Trying to be brought into the country. Wait, <laughs> well, are we putting su- the victim blaming right now? No, no, no. <laughs> they didn't succeed. 
I think people were trying to bring them into the country. You're, Why you're... anyone would want a hyena, I'm not real sure. Maybe they wanted someone to laugh at their jokes. Maybe. Eh, I don't know. But uh, that's why I do this podcast, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, but she's, she's, she's neat. She's also a staff favorite. And she's another one of those that, like, the public will just kind of walk by and be like, oh, yeah, hyena, cool. And they'll keep walking. I'm like, no, but it's a striped hyena. Like, you don't often see them. Like, they're neat. <laughs> so. No, that is. That's really cool. What's your name? Her name is Hera. Okay. So Cool. Yeah. All right. Yep. Very good. Um, okay, so then we also have Cheetah. Yes, yes. We Tell me about your Cheetah. One old lady Cheetah who is very sassy. Um, she uh, is, I don't really know what to say about her. <laughs> she is, I mean, she's nice to have here. She's, I mean, Cheetah our fan favorites people love cheetah um yes. because she is older we don't run her or anything we do get that comment a lot like oh we're the cheetahs they need to run and i'm like yeah but they don't really want to have to run <laughs> that fast all the time it's, it's reserved for catching food um but it people just love to see the cheetahs so it is and she is very visible she likes to lay up on her hill she likes to lay up near the front so like people, she's easy to see which is nice so people nice. like to come see her i i love feisty cheetahs um cheetahs are one of those animals that are often free contact and you see people hanging out with them all the time yeah. and like petting them and stuff and when i say people i mean keepers obviously yeah, like yeah. professionals you yeah. know again uh we're not tiger kinging this one right. but um the the cheetahs that i've actually had the chance to meet and like go behind the scenes with and stuff have all been super feisty and like i have to stay back or they are actually protected contact <laughs> cheetahs and i just love that so much it cracks me up because che- like i said people think of cheetahs as basically like big pussy cats yeah and every cheetah that i have had a chance oh, yeah. to interact with has growled and snarled and and showed Hissed fangs and spit, and, yep slap the ground it, all of it and i'm like i'm like oh my gosh why do i only hang out with with just salty cheetahs it's yeah amazing. they're salty that's a good a good way of putting it yeah they are we had um the one cheetah i fell in love with years ago his name was steelman he was an older male cheetah that we had and just like the way he so he had some tummy issues that required him to be fed like multiple times a day. So we accommodated him because, you know, he was older. And every time you would feed him, just the way that he would like stare into your soul <laughs> with his big eyes, you could just shovel food in his mouth and he like wouldn't break his gaze. He would just stare at you the whole time. But it was really endearing because like he just, I don't know, he got to people that way. And it was very sad whenever he passed away. Oh, so. I bet. Yeah. Yeah. Someday I'm going to meet one of these nice Jews. <laughs> he was one of them. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm going to. Well, someday. But so far it has just been the salty one. Yeah. That's funny. Uh, I kind of like them that way, though. It's just there's something about it. Because every time I go in with the expectation of like, oh, this is going to be the time. This is going <laughs> to nope. be the, the standard cheetah. And then it's like, <sighs> yeah, <I'm> like, <laughs> they're picky. They're picky. They will choose when and if they're going to like you. <laughs> so we also have um, clotted leopards. And clouded then, leopards are such amazing. They're guys. so pretty. So pretty. And very cool. Yeah. Like. They have the largest canines per body size, like, and they are quite large. Like, they just they're they're also very acrobatic up in the trees yes. and like you know catching birds by hanging by their back feet. And they're just they're really neat and pretty. And it's nice. We um, had a couple of clouded leopards born a few years ago. Um, that a lot of zoos and the SSP historically um, had they've hand reared clouded leopards. 
Um, and now they're kind of moving towards like a shared reared sort of program where the mom is going to rear them, but then there's also a lot of interaction with keepers. But ours in ours at the time, we ended up hand rearing. Um, and so that was fun <laughs> because yes. like, they are also crazy feisty kittens. Um, but yeah, they're really unique species too. And they're really pretty. They're just so pretty. <laughs> they really are. They're markings. Look like clouds. Just, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's really cool. Um, I've gotten to meet a few of the ambassador ones out there and they're yeah. just, what cool cats. Yeah, they are know? cool. Yeah. We still have one of the, um, the kids from a couple of years ago and she is in our show section, which is our ambassador animal section. And she comes out um, during one of our shows off and on when she chooses to. Right, right. Like yes, a typical cat. <laughs> yes. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, very cool. And then there was a there was a third. So you you were you were bragging before we started oh. about your your three kind of rare species. Oh yeah, we we have a honey badger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the that's the third one that we got to touch on. So let's uh, let's let's talk about the honey badger. Oh, the honey badgers. So a few years ago, do you remember how popular they got because of some videos on YouTube? Oh yeah, honey badger don't care. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. That's when we. That's when ours showed up. That's when we got them. <laughs> um, and it's true. They really don't care about many things. They do as they please. But in a really, like, it's okay way that you do that. Like, <laughs> they are, people have said, like, oh, when I heard you had honey badgers in your collection, I was super interested about working here. And it's like, yeah, they're neat animals. They are tough. They are so tough. But they are also super smart. I mean, I've seen them within their enclosure, like roll logs and move logs over just to be able to get to either like an enrichment item that's like out of reach or because they're troubleshooting. They're like little velociraptors. Like you can see them thinking (laughs) and like they are able to figure out these complex problems, which is, it's just amazing to get to like watch in real time. Nice. So, so, um, give me honey badger 101 because this is actually the first time we've (laughs) talked about the species on the pod. Yeah. Okay. So they, um, are in the same family as like weasels and otters. Wolverines are thrown in there. Kind of like this mixed mash of like weird animals that they, uh, that they classify taxonomically because they have similar characteristics. Um, they are found in Africa, uh, and also into India. Um, they get the name honey badger because they really do like honey. And in the wild, they will often, uh, raid farmers like bee hives and stuff like that. Um, they also use, there's a bird in Africa. His name escapes me right now. It's like a, maybe, oh, I don't think it's the bee eater. It's, they'll kind of like pair up with these birds to like know where hives are and like, nice. <laughs> they working together. Um, but they are pretty um, hardy. Like their skin is really, really super thick. Um, so like if they're attacked, say, and they're bitten like on their neck or on the back or something, they can kind of like rotate within their skin. <laughs> it sounds, that sounds crazy, but like it's so thick and kind of loose that they like can like spin back around and like attack whatever it is like in the face. And they've got quite sharp teeth and very long nails because they are really good at digging. Um it's been said that they can dig a very deep hole in like 10 minutes, even in really hard ground, like ground that's nice. like nearly as hard as concrete. So, I mean, wow. their their nails are a couple inches long and they, in our exhibit at least, they do dig holes every single day that we fill back in so they can have a clean slate and do it again. 
<laughs> Yay enrichment. Yeah. But they're just, they're very sturdy and smart and they really don't care. I mean, they'll take on animals that are larger than themselves in the wild. Um, they will chase off lion cubs from a kill, chase off hyenas. They wow. will, they, they, they have this like attitude about them where they are super confident and they're going to get what they want. So they're neat to work with. Our three here, we have one male and two females. So the one female is, we think older. Um, because some of their history that we have is is incomplete, um, but they the the behaviors that they do when they're interacting with each other like it's so hard because there's not many like wild honey badger studies out there. So the some of the behaviors that we see when they are interacting with each other and the vocalizations that they make, which are crazy, <laughs> it's a little hard to interpret what's going on. So we do it to the best of our knowledge, but it's just. It's just like drama almost. Sometimes it's a soap opera over there and they all get along, but then they don't. And then, but they do at the same time. Like it's, it's, they're just like this little like telenovela. This is something <laughs> going on. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, are they free or protected contact? Protected contact. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I figured, but I wasn't sure. I know well. <laughs> teeth and, and, and. And nails. <laughs> yeah, they help. Well, and so much so that um, when we first got them here at the zoo, we. Where, the way we would shift them is they would go through this like guillotine door and um, one of the keepers was cleaning on the one side of the door and the badger rolled herself onto her head and did this like headstand to pull up the shift door and was trying to slide underneath. <laughs> so she figured out how to do it and then she also had the strength to do it, which was amazing. So we put pins in the door. <laughs> so now we have to lock that door shut and like, because they will just figure things out like that. So <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Um, are there any other animals that you wanted to uh, hit on quick before we move on to some other stuff? I think that's all that we have here in the carnival co- carnivore collection. The carnival the Carnival. Collection. It feels like a carnival sometimes. <laughs> I bet it does. It's a lot of species <laughs> to keep track of. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. Um, okay, cool. So then uh, are there any conservation organizations or, or people or just anything really that you would like to give a shout out to? Um, we do support lots of them here at the zoo. Um, good, oh good. my goodness. Our director of conservation has got so much going on. Um, he supports the Draft Conservation Foundation. Um, nice. Did GCF. an episode with them recently. Yes. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah, amazing people. Yeah, they're yeah. doing cool work. So we support them a lot. Actually, I think we pay the salary of their vet. Nice. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, and then also, um, there's a group down in South America, um, Ant Needers and Highways, and then also the Giant Armadillo um, project they we support them down there as well which is really cool um dr arno wa comes up here quite frequently with his vet danilo and um does lots of presentations and they have some cool interesting stuff going on down there in south america I mean, i'd never heard of giant armadillos they are crazy cool nice. Nice. Um, and we love anteaters here we do have an anteater on ground so it's nice to support their work too um, and then in the carnivore side, um, the Ruaha Carnivore Project, we support them. Um, Dr. Amy Dickman is doing amazing work over there to try to, you know, there's lots of human wildlife conflict that occurs with carnivores, um, especially lions. I think she's been able to like increase the population of lions in the Ruaha area by like 80% through wow. her efforts. So like, that's really cool too, to support them. Uh, Madagascar Flora and Fauna Group. Hoping I remember the name correctly, MFG, their shorthand, um, 
our director of conservation plays a really huge part with them. Um, so we support a lot of work that they're doing. And also Dr. Luke Dollar, who is um, big in the FUSA world. He does FUSA research. He's always in Madagascar. And he also comes here to the zoo. He's a great friend to the zoo. And he does stuff with um, out in the elementary schools and a lot of our like school systems. It's really cool. There's a ton of organizations. It's one of the things about this zoo that people initially are most attracted to when they're looking to want to work here is because there's so much conservation work that we're involved in, not just internationally, but locally too. Right, right. Like with Florida Panther and stuff like that, and black bears and stuff like that. Very cool. Now, that, that leads me to a question that um, I don't even know if you'll have an answer for, <laughs> but I like to ask everyone this. Why do zoos, and and I mean this as a pretty blanket statement, um, not not calling out Naples at all, uh, not really talk about that stuff as much. Um, it's hard to find, and I think it's the coolest thing, yeah. and I think it shuts down 90%. I mean, you can't get everyone, but it shuts down 90% of the anti-zoo crowd yeah. if they knew all of that, yeah. you know? And here I am, and I even researched this place, and I didn't even know you guys worked with all of that. Yeah. That's amazing to me, you know? It is cool. It's such a heavy conversation sometimes. Like, if you... Every once in a while, you'll be out in the park, whether it's after a keeper talk or if it's just a, you know, a random zoo goer that asks a question and you can get them hooked and you can like really like, if they're willing to stand there, a lot of us will just like talk. <laughs> we have one supervisor who literally will talk for like 20, 30 minutes and we're like, where is she? <laughs> I mean, that was literally the, the genesis of this podcast was I would ask like, yeah. you know, hey, tell me the name of your giant anteater. And 30 minutes later, I was getting this person's life story and the anteater's yeah. life story and their <laughs> conservation status. And I literally was like, I need to find a podcast that does that. And when I didn't find one, I just started Make one. your own. Yeah. Um, but literally it was just, yeah, no. So I, I am aware that that'll happen in those moments, but I yeah. feel like we need to do a better job. And when I say we, I include myself, like mm -hmm. that's part of what this podcast does, but I, we need to educate people that that is happening. I, I agree. It's really important. It is really important. It's just, it's hard to, to get them to, like I said, it can be a really in-depth conversation. So if you can, those that are interested in it and you can talk the ear off, that's great. But then, like you said, how do you really get that message out to those who maybe aren't inclined to stand around for half an hour and talk to a zookeeper about it? But but can we? how can we hook them some way? It's like the age-old questions among zoos. I mean, I went to an AZA um, management course a few years back, and they asked the same question. They're like, how you know, you guys are a young group of up-and-comers. Like, how do we engage the public? What's the best method? And I don't know that there's like the one answer that fits everyone, but like zoos have come up with some pretty creative ways to try to engage people, but it is such an important topic. I think, you know, decades ago, zoos, in my opinion, kind of saw that they needed to change their relevancy. They couldn't just continue to be purely for entertainment right. because the world was changing. And so in order for them to kind of put their money where their mouth was, they needed to start investing in conservation. And it really obviously has been a good beneficial um, change in the industry, but it is really hard to like get people as interested and involved um, but it is important work, like you said, and neat, neat things that zoos are doing. Yeah, I, I'm I'm constantly blown away by the things that I hear. And then I'm like, 
why am I hearing this in a podcast? <laughs> right? That you know, I'm I'm behind the scenes right now, finding out about yeah. this one on one. Yeah, and I, I like that. I can at least share it with my audience. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. I'm I'm constantly asking people that, both on and off the pod, and uh, I hope I can eventually help figure out the answer. I hope so too. I feel like you know sometimes the attention span of the public is short. They just, you want to learn quick fact and move on. And that's really great. And we try in our shows where we know we're going to have a captive audience for like maybe 20 minutes to like, okay, lay it all out there in a way that they can like digest and also remember. And it's not just like animal facts are spitting at them, but it's like through stories and it's through like personal like interaction. And you know, after keeper talks, um, but yeah, like you said, it's, it's, it should be talked about more. I'm sorry, what? I zoned out. No, I'm kidding. I'm totally See? kidding. Okay. Totally kidding. <laughs> I need to work on my presentation skills. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm just being a dork. Um, it's time now, don't you know? We've come to the end of the show. But there's one tale left to go. You're gonna laugh and say, oh no. It's time for the Rossifari poop story. Hit me. So early on in my career, I took care of rhinos um, along with giraffe. They were in the same barn. And rhinos have lots of poop. It's very, it's just large volume. And they like to pee where they poop. So it gets to be like wet and like sloppy. And we would scoop it up and put it in bags and tie the bag up and we would put it in the back of the gator. And then at the end of the day, we would take all of the bags down out towards the dumpster and we would sling them into the dumpster. Um, And on numerous occasions, we would catch that plastic bag on the edge of the gator and it would just bust open and drip (laughs) down. Like from the waist down, I remember it just like, Going all over me. Down and then it's down into your sock and into your shoe. And it's just like urine poop all stuck to your clothes and your legs. Amazing. It stinks to high heavens. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> well, thank you so much for doing this. Yeah. And uh, let's go wander the zoo. Yeah, let's do, do it. Some stuff. Cool. cool. And wander we did, seeing a bunch of cool animals, but the. Uh, The first place I'm going to take y'all to is the honey badgers. This was awesome. So uh, let's go to the honey badger enclosure, shall we? Cool. All right. So tell me where we are right now and why I'm freaking out. (laughs) We are over at the honey badger enclosure. Um, We've got our male honey badger, Jabari, and then two females, Shani and Ishii. I don't know if you can hear them, but... They're making one of their little vocalizations where they're just like, sounds like this little like trill. (laughs) That's the farting noise you're hearing. Let's be honest. It's Rasafari. That's how you're thinking of it. We all know it. But there, oh, there goes Ishii. (laughs) She's our kind of little like stubby badger who is older. Her teeth are not as sharp. (laughs) And she's just trying to grab onto Shawnee. She's such a pester. Like we just always (laughs) want to know what's going through her little head. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, they're like active all the time. They're just like super high energy. Except for Ishii. Ishii likes to sleep. She likes to sleep so much that sometimes she makes us worried that she has left this earth. Oh no! <laughs> like she will be in a dead sleep for like 10, 15 minutes while we're calling her name. And finally she just pop up like, what? Oh, okay, I'm ready. Let's come in and eat. 
That's but hilarious. Like, they're so charismatic. Like they're just little personalities are funny. They do weird things. <laughs> they make the cutest little noises they too. Do. I don't know how well they're translating on here, but I'm gonna try and put this close so you can hopefully hear it. Jabari, what are you doing? Come up here. Hi, come say hi. Okay, so so was that Jabari? Yeah. Jabari literally just reached through yep. and tried to grab my my recorder and almost got it. Luckily, I was paying attention. You yep. always have to be aware with carnivores. But uh, but Jabari was almost the owner of of my audio recorder, and it was amazing. Yeah, they <laughs> are very curious, and they have a super far reach, and like they will even try to like. We have to be careful with most of our animals, but especially the honey badgers of what we're putting on the outside of the enclosure too, because they're like, this is mine now. And they'll just like take whatever they want. That is amazing. <laughs> oh, they're so gorgeous though. They're really pretty. I mean, they're also really dirty all the time, but they're really pretty markings are like, so like, they're just very distinct black and white and like, yeah, they're cool. It's like they have like no concern for, I don't know, like where their body is in space and what they're doing and like whether they're clean or dirty. They just, they roll around in the dirt. They're just like, they just, <laughs> I don't know. They're on a mission every time they do. <laughs> they're hard to explain unless you can see what they're doing. You're just like, why? What is going on? <laughs> cool bulldozers. Yeah, that makes, that's a good way to put it. We're currently trying to um, injection train all three of them so that we can voluntarily inject them so that we can sedate them for um, physical exams. And our one badger, Shawnee, actually is trained to allow um, voluntary blood draws. Nice. Um, and we've been able to get uh, blood once, a little tiny bit of blood, um, but it's taken a couple different of keepers and vet techs through the past like year or two to like work with her on this, which is really neat. That is very cool. And y'all, everything timed out super well, and I actually got to watch training for the voluntary blood draw with one of the honey badgers. It was so cool to watch. It was so amazing. The vet tech and the keeper on duty were working as such a, an amazing team. The The amount of effort that went into it and keeping not just the honey badger that was being trained calm, but the other two as well, because as you heard, they can be a lot. Uh, it was just amazing to see. The, the teamwork that people at zoos have to employ sometimes is incredible. And it was just really inspirational to see that. Uh, and so then after that, I got to go hang out with DG the Anteater, and his keeper had all kinds of cool stuff to share. So uh, here's that whole thing. He's one of my favorites. <laughs> He's one of the coolest animals. That's so cool. Everything about them is so different. But when you think about the function of all their weird features... That's awesome. Yeah, I'm very excited. Yeah, Elizabeth had mentioned that you were um, kind of focused on unique animals. Not that any animal isn't unique. But right. DG, where are you? See if we can rouse him up. He might be in that mode. Oh, no, he's not. He's right there. No, buddy. So, um, let's see. I'll 
probably bring him down there in the opening. But you can see him from here. Cool. This is not normally where our guests travel. Right. Um, looks like he may be looking on some enrichment, which is super cool. Let's give him a second. DG, come here, buddy. Hi. You hear me, don't you? I know. He stopped looking for a second. Hi, buddy. I'm over here. <coughs> come here, handsome. So anteaters, you'll see his eyes are really small. They don't see well. Sense of smell and then hearing are the senses they're going to utilize the most. So um, he did hear me. And now he's going to literally have his nose lead the way <laughs> over here. Their sense of smell is about 40 times greater than ours. So wow. his sense of smell is real important to him. Let's go down here. All right. And I'm going to feed him a little bit of one of his favorite snacks, which I know he's an anteater, but they do eat fruit. That's so So funny. he really likes bananas. <laughs> you can have him stand funny. up here. And I want to tell you some of the um, cool features on yeah. an anteater right, right now. You can see how he's eating this banana, and I have to kind of cup it in my hands and um, kind of help him a little bit to yeah. make it smushed up. So his mouth <clears throat> does not have any teeth in it. I would not hand feed an animal with teeth like this. <laughs> um, there's truly a toothless animal, but it's a tiny little mouth. Look how it just opens um, yeah. about maybe an inch or so. Yeah. Look how tiny that mouth is. And then his nose is on the end. So people think anteaters have long noses, but really they kind of have long faces. That makes sense. His nose is not long. It's right there. It's right. the size of any, you know, mammal's nose you would expect, like a dog's nose. Sure, yeah. But he does have a long face. So if you were to maybe take your chin, your lips, and your nose and stretch it out, maybe two feet, that's kind of the structure of a giant anteater's face. <laughs> So your lips aren't going to be any bigger. They're still small, and they're on the end of that long face. So they can't open their mouths very far. But they don't really need to because a large part of their diet is insects. And this guy weighs 110 pounds. They can actually weigh a little bit more than that for a male. Uh, females are going to be a bit smaller. But if you weigh 110 pounds, basically me, how many insects would I need in a day to survive? Quite a few. A lot, yeah. So, um, he's going to eat maybe 30,000 insects in a day wow. on average in the wild, not here. Um, obviously we don't have 30,000 insect supply every day. I don't know. Based on my legs right now, you might. <laughs> but, um, notice they're not on me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think I'm immune to them. But, um, so we do uh, replicate that nutrition with other food items. He gets a diet called insectivore, which is nice. a, like a dry crumble. Honestly, it looks so much like grape nut cereal to me. <laughs> And then we um, soak it in water. We add a banana and orange to it. It gets nice. blended, so he gets an anteater soup, soup. every day. Um, it's cold right now, so it's more like an anteater smoothie. Fair, fair. Um, in the winter, which it doesn't get super cold here, uh, we try to give it to him room temperature rather than cold. But um, that does supply him with a lot of the nutrition he would need. But it would be boring if he just got a pile of soup every day. Right. So he does get supplemented with other things. He does get bananas for enrichment and um, special treat items. His most favorite novelty food item is actually avocado. That's amazing. He truly loves avocado so much. Same. And mealworms and crickets and boiled eggs and things like that. So we really try to add that variety on top of the complete diet that he receives from the insectivore. But some of the other cool features on him, 
Um, his tongue actually uh, is two feet long if it needs to stretch out. So if you think about getting 30,000 insects a day, it's a lot easier when you have a two foot long sticky sure. tongue. Yeah. So the saliva coats the tongue and actually allows a lot of things to stick to it. So he might go to an ant mound and flip his tongue a few times super fast, multiple times inside a few seconds. He's going to get a few hundred insects stuck on a two foot long sticky tongue wow. when he flips it into an ant mound. That's so amazing. he's going to get a lot in a short amount of time. And I know a lot of people, especially here in Florida, we have fire ants, which are you know native to his habitat, which would be South America. People say, oh, can I borrow your anteater and bring it to my yard to get rid of the fire ants I, I in my literally yard. made that joke in the interview today. Okay. Sorry. Well, <laughs> uh, here's why that wouldn't really be that helpful. So anteaters have more of a territory in the wild, especially the males. Um, females will travel through, but males tend to stay within a territory. So if he depleted all of his food resources, like a pile of ants, an ant mound, um, it wouldn't be there for use later. But if you just have a little bit of the ant mound, it's always going to be there as a resource okay. later. Okay, that's actually really smart. But also, um, if you say fire ants are what you're snacking on, stay there very long. They send out the alarm, and there are certain ants in the colony whose job it is to defend the destruction of the nest. Right. So they're going to come out, and they're going to start biting, and it's really uncomfortable. Well, if that was your face and you're an anteater, that would be uncomfortable. So if he just stays there for a short amount of time, it limits the amount of discomfort he's going to experience from that, and he maintains his resource. So I like to say they're the original conservationists. Nice. I love that. That's awesome. Um, and then again, termites are uh, a predominant food source for him. So he's going to eat lots of termites, too. And he's going to use those remarkable claws to get into termite mounds and mm -hmm. rotten logs and to dig uh, to get food sources like that. So those claws are like the size of your fingers. Super powerful. Those two in the middle and then the two on either side are smaller but sharp. And his hand structure is one of the, he's got one of the coolest hand structures I've ever seen. Yeah, they're really so you interesting. You can really see yeah. that calloused portion there. Mm -hmm. And again, a lot of people are like, oh, the, the anteater, he, uh, Walks on his knuckles. Right. Not exactly. So look at that section of his hand. Mm -hmm. It's kind of equivalent to this section of our hand. Right. You know, it's a little more squishy and built up there. So if you were to imagine that being even more developed, it gives you a nice landing pad. So if that's how you're walking, look how readily your fingers would curl up. Right, right. So if you travel as much as an anteater does to get all those food resources in the wild, you're going to wear those claws down and then you're not going to have them to get the food resources. So that developed calloused pad on his hand that allows those nails to curl up prevents him from wearing them down with all of the movement that he requires in the wild to get to his resources. Oh, that's so, so cool. So it's a strange structure to have, but it works so well. And then people also ask about the tail. The tail's like as long as his body. Yes. Um, why would an animal need a giant tail like that? Well, it's kind of twofold. It serves as... Um, a source of camouflage and then also insulation. So when it's time for an anteater to nap, he's going to kind of dig himself out a little bowl in the dirt, curl up in it, cover himself with that tail. You can tell by the color of it. It blends right into the substrate of the ground, the leaf litter and whatnot. So it is an instant camouflage. But also they have the lowest average body temperature of just about any mammal. I believe it's around 92, 93 degrees. Oh, wow. So, um, having a little insulation, even though you wouldn't think they would need it in South America, 
when they cover themselves with that tail, it does hold their body heat in to give them a little built-in blankie. That's so cute. So it's got a couple of purposes. They're really incredible. That is amazing. Come here, buddy. Come on down here. Try to maybe move you down here a little bit and get you away from the bugs. We'll come back in a second. Yeah, they're, they're really incredible, and unfortunately, their numbers are declining in the wild, but um, there's a lot of conservation work that's that's really helping. We contribute to the Anteaters and Highways Project, and that's uh, helping to track their movements and find the places that they're crossing roadways and maybe find ways to mitigate the life loss in some of those areas that they frequently travel. That's awesome. So they wear little backpacks in the wild for um, to be able to follow their movements. <laughs> It's really cool. I bet it's really cute, too. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. He's finding our little scraps right there. Mm-hmm. Same babies when they're born. That's another super cool thing is oh, moms, Elizabeth, can, can really feel this one. So when the babies are born, they are like exact replicas of adults. They have their hair and everything, wow. their pattern, their markings, which is really fantastic because, of course, they're susceptible to predation. Um, but... As soon as they're born, they crawl up on mom's back, and they're a backpack of her. So they blend right into her coat. And that poor mom might have to carry that kid around for an entire year. Oh, wow. They might use her for travel and safety up to a year. And then all they have to do to nurse, they don't have to leave her back. They just take their long little anteater face, and they reach under her arms and nurse. Oh, that's amazing. So they literally, like, be on their mom nonstop. Poor mom never gets a break. Got stimulated by something, yeah. he's going to do a little trotting, and of course now he's over, he's going to come back. That's so hilarious. I think that's super fantastic about them. Yeah, that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. Awesome. Yeah, Thank so, you for all of this. So this is incredible. Things. Yeah, I love them. Yeah, when his little snoop booped me, it was the happiest <laughs> thing ever. Such a cutie. Well, normally we do a, um, we have a wild encounter program where guests can pay extra to have, you know, meet a keeper and get some information, and then they can feed whether directly or with a little plastic cup nice um, just because of covid um we have to be wary that anteaters could be susceptible to some of these things so mm-hmm. we had to cancel that program for right now it'll come back though but, stronger yeah, than in ever the future, yeah. I think it's a really cool opportunity for people to be able to experience that because it's not like anything else no yeah that's really really cool absolutely adorable oh so good so good that's another um one more thing I yeah. thought of, no, Jack, when I thought about the babies and predation. Oh, yeah. So the um, predators that this guy has to deal with in South America are things like jaguars and pumas, mm-hmm. which you would think a toothless animal that is terrestrial, that doesn't see well, is no match yeah. for something with the athleticism as a jaguar. Yeah, yeah. They kill jaguars. That's amazing. So um, some in some places where they're found in the wild, they call them ant bears. Okay. Because when he feels like he needs to defend himself, he'll actually stand up on his hind legs, and he takes on like a grizzly bear posture, and he takes those giant claws, and his forearms are like Popeye forearms. They're really developed. Nice. And with the power he has standing up and swiping, they literally can cause either a fatal wound or a wound bad enough that the infection sets in and the animal expires down the road. That's amazing. So they actually can kill jaguars even though they're toothless and don't see well and can't climb trees, and a jaguar can. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. That's beyond amazing. That an animal that lives off insects can kill a jaguar. That's insane. That's, yeah, unbelievable. I mean, everything about them is amazing. Awesome. Thank My you. My case is closed. <laughs> <laughs>
Y'all, I don't know if you figured this out yet, but I, uh, I really like that I get to do all of this cool stuff on the podcast. And I'm so excited that I get to share it with y'all. I hope that you enjoyed that whole episode and especially the deep dive on honey badgers and anteaters to, to animals you don't always hear about a lot. And, um, Man, I'm just so thankful to everyone at the Naples Zoo for being such incredible hosts, and it was it was really cool to be back to my old stomping grounds and, and hanging out in a new way. Special thanks to my Red Panda patrons, Lara Shank and PJ Bevan. Oh, and hey, remember y'all, the word credits backwards is Stiderk. The Rossafari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Vesley-Gross. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.